Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 382 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here, as always, with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hey, Sarah. So today we're talking about separation anxiety, which is very timely if you're listening to this when it comes out in the fall. I feel like we've been seeing the chatter in our listener community of dropping kids off at preschool and kindergarten and I don't know, fourth grade and having all the feelings um, that the new school year brings up. But we are going to take a little bit of a different angle, I guess, as we like to do when we look at a topic. And I think we're going to mostly focus around the motherhood experience of being separated from our kids today, all the way from little babies up through you, Megan, who said goodbye to one of your launched adults like a week ago. So um, I think that's a, a running through line of this show is coming back to that motherhood experience. Not that it's not, not that we can't offer some takeaways about helping kids cope, but like, what about us? You know? Right. It's like separation anxiety for moms. Um, and it's, It's just as real, but sometimes what I think is interesting is that when we feel it hardest, it's not when they're feeling it the hardest. And when they're feeling it the hardest, we're just like super ready to separate sometimes. So like when they don't sync up, I'm not sure if that's better or worse. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I don't think a lot of people talk about the experience of being a mother separated from her baby or her toddler or her kid. We tend to focus on making that easier on the child or giving the child the skills they need to, you know, like go off in the world. But moms have all kinds of feelings from elation and relief, right? To actual anxiety and the anxiety that presents, we'll get into that a little later. It it can look very different from actually like worrying about some specific safety concerns to just missing your kid. Like I've had, I've had opportunities now with older kids who go away for longer to actually just be like, oh, I miss this person being in my house. And I would imagine for you, as you are launching adults, it's much more about that, that missing rather than a true um, anxiety or worry. 
Right. And that, and that missing can coexist with relief. Um, so Will just went off to college. Like, I guess by the time this airs, it'll have been a, a few weeks. Interestingly, he's the first one of my kids to graduate high school. And then the following fall, do the traditional going off to college thing, as we just talked about not too long ago. And when Jacob first left the house, um, he kind of came and went for a few years and is more or less launched now. But like, it was like, he'd be gone for six months, come back for six months, be gone for a year, come back for a year. So he's been now graduated high school for six years and it's been kind of on and off. Now, when he graduated, the fall after he graduated from high school was when I started going through my divorce. So I just don't think any, I honestly don't even remember when he first left. <laughs> I know he went to California. I do I remember, remember that. that. Yeah. He went, yeah, he went and stayed with some family out there and lived there for, I don't know, close to a year, I think, um, just to kind of check it out. And I remember like being sad that he was gone, but also super relieved because I was so overwhelmed with everything else going on that it was just like, go start your life. And like, if, if college isn't going to be the thing for you right now, I need you to be doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, Isaac's kind of come and gone, but Will was the first one to really just kind of up and go. And it was bittersweet because while I experienced that sadness of watching him like drive away on his way to college, that was kind of the first time I experienced that and all the lead up to it, like knowing for months and months he'd be going and where he'd be going and how it was going to look. I don't think I really had that quite as much as the other kids older two. Um, there was also the relief, like he gave me plenty of time to get tired of him being around. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yep. And for me to start looking forward to his, um, departure. So now like I go downstairs to say hi to Owen and I glance into Will's room and I'm like, great. He left a total pigsty. Like, I mean, it's just like the low level irritation you get with a kid who's ready to really, who's really ready to go. Like everyone's ready for them yeah. to go. And so part of me is like, Oh, I miss him. And then part of me is thinking, man, it's nice not having like an extra human making laundry. So that's kind of the space I'm in right now. Well, I think that speaks to um, what I think everybody experiences, but sometimes we don't talk about, which is it's a full, it's a 360 degree. It's a spherical experience to love and launch these kids. It is not all sunshine and roses, but it's all not all just like doing a happy dance to get them out of the house either. It's like it is literally all of the things and many of them at the same time. Um, The other thing that we're going to weave through this conversation is how much contact or information we have wanted and have gotten when we are separated from our kids over time, all the way from there are like nanny cams and in some daycares and in some childcare situations, there's detailed reports where you can either see what your kid is up to or maybe get a really detailed report of what they did all day or call to check in. I know we're coming out of summer and There have been like at summer camps, there's like the classic trope of like the mom, like Mm. scrolling the summer camps photos to catch a glimpse of your kids. So there's this whole side conversation about, is it helpful to us? And I don't mean to everybody because everybody's different, but as Megan and Sarah, do we find solace in that sort of, I'm going to call it surveillance. It's like loving surveillance in that sort of like knowing what your kid is doing when they are away from you, whether they are six months old or like will like almost 19 and living in a different part of the state. Do we want to know, does that help with our own anxiety or do we kind of almost want to like turn a blind eye and like out of sight, out of mind. So we're going to dig into that at different ages, which I think will be fun. I think we're kind of similar, but maybe we are a little different too. So, and maybe for different, maybe we're similar for different reasons. I also wanted to say one thing that we, you know, the episode we did not too long ago about chickens and kittens. Oh yeah. And, um, 
the the how we watch in the animal kingdom separation play out. Yeah. I don't know why this didn't occur to me while we were having that conversation, but I just ran across a different article. I read a lot about chickens. <laughs> I was reading a different article today that was talking about the way it was described in this article is that at some point the mama chicken like looks at the chicks and basically is like, now you go over there. And then the way it was phrased was she returns to the adults. Like, like the adults are all waiting for her. And she basically is like, bye-bye. And then she goes back to the adults. Now what's different about chickens and kittens and most animals is that you're going to do it again, (laughs) like the whole process. So you get one kid or one flock or one litter raised and flown, and then you do it again. Right. And that's so different from so the way different. humans yeah. do it because we're bringing up like usually singles or maybe doubles and triples, but like you don't often have a litter of kids <laughs> that you're raising all the way till they're like 18 or older. They go start off and over. then, and then start all the way over. That's just not how it plays out. So I do think there's some differences in the way, in the finality, yeah. like the way our family dynamics change. And I know right now I'm talking about launching and not necessarily like daycare, but I do feel like all of those little separations are like practices for the big thing. Right. And it's like, it's happening at different stages with all the kids in your house, but at some point they'll all be gone and you will not probably now go have another litter of babies. Right. Right. Most likely. I don't, not, not me. I don't plan. I don't plan on any more litters. So (laughs) Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code MOMHOUR50 at factormeals.com slash MOMHOUR50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. We are welcoming back Vionic as a sponsor today. And Sarah, I will be honest, I was sorting through my warmer weather wardrobe the other day and it could seriously use a refresh, but you know what's good to go? My shoes. I've got a great selection to choose from thanks to the Vionic Vitals collection. And lately, the pair I keep putting on again and again is the Uptown Loafer. I have two pairs, one in sand suede and the other in camel leather. But please don't make me pick a favorite. Oh, I won't. I'll let you keep both. That's so funny, Megan, because I was a little jealous of your Uptown Loafers. I was the last one on our team to get a pair, but I just did. I also got mine in the sand suede, and I think I've worn them like four times this week. They really finish off a cute spring outfit. The Vionic Vitals collection has the best essential styles for everyday wear to get you ready for spring. And no matter what shoes you choose, you'll be on the go in comfort because every single pair of Vionic shoes delivers their trademark Motion technology for a difference you can feel. Bionic sandals, sneakers, and flats all offer incredible support, stability, and cushioning, and every pair comes with a 30-day risk-free trial, so it's easy to try them out. 
Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. So Megan, when we were talking before we kind of outlined and shaped this episode, um, we both reflected on the fact that it was pretty difficult for us, or we had lots of feelings wrapped up in separating from our babies when they were, I mean, just going to say nurslings, like, like under two, um, roughly. And we, we similarly became quite okay with separating from our kids after that. I thought, I don't think our perspective is the only one. I just think we were kind of similar in that way. And I think a lot of people can relate. So what do you think makes separating from infants and young toddlers so hard? And how, you know, how was it for you, especially as an early mom, new mom, first time mom with your babies? So I guess I would even add like another, uh, like another variant into there. So for me, anything under like 10 or 11 months was really hard, no matter who was watching them, um, especially with the first baby. Uh, Maybe, maybe more like seven, eight months after that. If it was dad that I was leaving them with, I was 100% okay. So like I was totally fine leaving a one to two year old with dad overnight or whatever. And it really wasn't hard for me at all. Although I feel like that was something I grew into as a mom and it was much harder when my, um, big ones were little. Um, so it's almost like there's a couple different reasons. I think breastfeeding schedules, like you can't, the the fact that your baby is requires your body to become nourished (laughs) is huge. Right. And that does get better with time. Um, I'm not even sure having like pumped bottles at home or a can of formula at home took away that knowledge that still my body was continuing to do the thing, making the food. Yeah. And that like, it wasn't like I was thinking, Oh, if I don't get home in an hour, the baby's going to be hungry. Cause there was always other options. It was more something like it felt really strange. I think it was very biological and like hormone led that attachment, that visceral, like my breasts are doing this thing because I should be doing this thing. And yet I'm off here doing this other thing. And it was, hard for me to get past. Um, there was also just like wondering if someone else would be able to handle them if they cried. And I think that's the kind of thing where I was less worried about that if it was dad, because I knew he could handle it if they cried after a certain stage, um, worrying that they would miss me sometimes. But again, like if it was me, if I knew that I could just walk away and they would wake up from a nap, say, and dad would be there and everything would be fine. Like it was much less than if it was some other caregiver. So it was like, there was a lot of various like variations on that for me, but those were, I guess, were the three main ones. I just had a physical like body anxiety reaction when you said those words about like a toddler waking up from a nap and finding someone else there, which I I'm fully recognizing my own, like, the kids will be fine. But that was like a big, that was like, like would have been a big hang up for me too. And I, I went back to uh, work in an office with my first baby. So I, I had practice separating for a whole work day. Um, but I, like you, I, it just felt different when my kids were pre-verbal and couldn't understand. And I had a lot of hangups about, so if we're, if we're coming back to the mom anxiety, um, space. I had a lot of hangups about like, would, would this little being understand that I would be back, especially mm. when they're like between one and two, and they kind of understand routine and they have a little bit of 
understanding and they're a little bit verbal. And it's like, I just ached to be able to explain like that mom would be back tomorrow or yeah. that mom would mm-hmm. be. And so that was like, it was almost like that communication gap um, combined with what you're talking about, that sort of very like visceral attachment made it hard. And it's not that I don't think it's that either of us didn't do it, but it felt different than when we get into like preschool and early school separation. Um, yeah. I'm curious in those early years, the first couple of years, did information um, feedback, that kind of surveillance that I mentioned earlier in any form, did would that have helped your anxiety to know like certain daycares, for example, our first daycare gave a daily sheet that was like, this is what time they napped, ate, how many times they pooped. Um, you could call and check in. I don't remember doing that. I don't think I did. And we'll get into, I don't think the surveillance actually helps me at all. So I probably didn't, but I think you were allowed to call anytime, find out what your kid was doing. And then when, when, um, Violet would go to the gym daycare, this is my third kid. So it's a little bit different, but she was about two. She spent a lot of time in our gym daycare and there were cameras and you could just walk over to the wall upstairs in the gym and like find your kid and see what they're, they were doing. So I guess my question for you is like, would that have helped you at all? It did that kind of feedback and information ease the feelings of separation, make it worse or neither. So again, it's very circumstance driven. So the experience that I had with like traditional daycare while I was away at work, um, happened a long time ago before cameras in, uh, like in a, a daycare classroom or a thing. Like, I don't remember that ever being an option. Um, and that would have been when Jacob was like three and a half and Isaac was like one and a half and Isaac was extremely attached and had a really, really hard time separating from me. And I had a really hard time sending him to daycare. Like that was really, really rough. Uh, really, really, really rough. I don't think I can underestimate how overestimate how rough it was. Um, if there had been a camera, I would have felt obligated to look at it. And I don't think it would have helped because one thing I'm probably overly good at is compartmentalizing. And I think that once I walk away and things are, and it's over, whatever it is, whatever traumatic thing it is, once it's over, I'm pretty able to shift into whatever it is I have to get done. Mm -hmm. And at that time, um, I really had to work. So there was no like, and also I don't even remember if I had like reliable transportation. I mean, there was no way I could have just like left anyway. So it would not have helped me. I don't think I would have wanted to know in the gym daycare. I actually do remember quite often peeking around the corner just to see what the baby was doing because it was like, who cares if they're crying, I'll just take them home. Like, well, that's an interesting level, distinction, yeah. right? The level to yeah. which you'd be able to act if you saw your kid crying or like Right. You know, um, being ignored by a staff or something like really triggering, you would be able to swoop in. That's interesting. Yeah. And I really didn't have anxiety about gym daycares, even though two of my kids actively hated going to them for a short period of time. I just kind of was, we'd go try it out and I'd be like, you like it? Let's just try it. And then it never was very long. It was optional. I knew that if it was bad, I could leave. It just felt very much more under my control. Yeah than when the boys were in like a more traditional daycare. And then later they were, um, they went to a Montessori program where they did send a lot of the notes home. And I kind of, again, to the compartmentalizing and at the time too. Um, so I don't know if listeners might not even know this, if they're relatively new to the show, but like I was at the time separated. So John and I divorced twice 
it's like amazing. We got married twice and we divorced twice. Um, and this was like happening around that period of time. And so I was like a single mom at the time working and broke and I didn't really care what they were doing at school. So like a note coming home telling me they took a nap at this time or whatever, like I wasn't going to do anything differently in the evening with them based on the contents of that note. So Mm -hmm. it didn't feel, it kind of felt like they were entering my home and I didn't, I was almost resentful about it. Like I don't need your information in my house. I'm going to run things in my house, which now that I look back was probably not setting up the best dynamic with the school and the teachers. Like, almost adversarial. Like I felt forced into using like a, um, this program. And I don't feel, I didn't feel that way. Logically. I had a good relationship with the teachers. I thought it was a pretty good school. Um, but sometimes it felt a little extra, like it just felt a little, like I can't be the kind of mom this Montessori mom should be. And I felt very like, less than a lot of the time. Or and like those the, notes were super triggery to me for that yeah, reason. Like the notes yeah. were, were implying an expectation of how you would then can take that baton and continue the Montessori education at home, which I can yes, see. Like how I was supposed us, to act on it yeah. or I was supposed to use it as feedback to make like the next day better or something. Right. And I remember being like, all I get, all I can really do is just show up. Right. So that's what I'm going to do. And I just tossed the notes most right. of the time. Right. Yeah. So interesting. <laughs> How about you? Uh, well, I think I'm exactly the same about the compartmentalizing. Um, as hard as separation can be, I feel much less anxious if I trust the caregiver. So like there's a basic level of trust with whoever is providing the care, whether it's a family member or a school. And then I really don't, I really don't want to know during the day. And we'll get into older kids later, but I actually used to freak out if I got a call from like the elementary school, we've talked about this before, like the nurse's office calls, I would get so, it was, it was almost like that compartmental bubble that I'd created was being burst and made me very anxious. So I, that would be a hard no for me on any kind of, um, check-in while they are away. So like a camera or like, um, I guess refreshing the app for photos during the day. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that happens now. I didn't have or want any of that. And um, report at the end of the day when I had like a pre-verbal toddler. So my oldest was in daycare at like age one to two. And we also had um, a part-time nanny during that time. I did, I did like the end of day reports because I think um, with like a one and two year old, it allowed me to like, oh, you had peas for lunch today or like start to talk to my baby in a way that kind of yeah, like you said, like picked up the baton where school had left off because they were pre-verbal. But I feel the same way about uh, when I close that door and go get in my car and go to work or wherever I'm going. Um, I really didn't want it almost felt like an in- intrusion or like a, a trigger, mm. I guess. It pulled you out of the mm-hmm. other state you were in that yeah. you put yourself in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting about that. I felt completely different when my kids were in elementary school and up. So, mm-hmm. um, like notes home, I thought were great. Like yeah. as soon as kindergarten, like kindergarten on, maybe even preschool, like later preschool. Again, I think there's a lot of it is the choice. Like it was, I didn't feel thrust upon me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't feel like criticizing what was happening at home. Um, now I, now that I think about it, I think I really have some, like maybe some, um, issues with this preschool that I 
kids were at this time, this Montessori it preschool. Like, feel bad or you felt bad. It did make yeah. me feel bad. I felt there was some other things that happened now that I'm thinking back that were rather triggery. And I do think that I felt like I was not up to par as a mom. And so that yeah. was like coming through into every interaction I was having with the school and just the fact that they were there. I just, I didn't want them to have to be away from me for as long as they were during the day. Cause it wasn't just like, you know, an afternoon program. It was like a full day. It was like yeah. daycare with, it was like yeah. Montessori preschool with wraparound daycare on either side. And I think it was a good program. It just wasn't, like, it wasn't great for my family at that time. Um, but I felt very different when my kids were in, you know, maybe like pre four, like pre K four mm-hmm. and, and beyond where like the note would come home. It's like, Ooh, you learned about this today. That's yeah. so fun. And like, I felt like I was part of it and I was choosing it and it felt like a positive thing, which is different. It is. And I would wager that it had something to do. We're going to move on to talking about preschool. And, um, I want to talk about kids being verbal and able to talk to you about how they feel about school and daycare. And I think, I wonder if that's also part of it too, that when, as kids get older, the reports and the photos and things that you're able to see from their school day, you can actually talk to them about it. Um, which is yeah. a very different experience than, um, that more like surveilled baby thing. So, right. Um, yep. well, let's talk about preschool because this is where I feel like just my spidey sense is that it's peak emotional time for both moms and kids when it comes to separating and the feelings that come along with separation. And I have a, I have a couple theories why, um, I've seen a lot of conversation in our Facebook group community lately about, um, kids crying at drop off, um, moms feeling really guilty about dropping a kid off, a crying kid off, um, all the things. And I, I actually think that this becoming verbal and the way that three and four year olds are able to understand the world better and articulate how they feel about something plays directly into feelings that moms are already struggling with about choices they've made about which school, whether or not school, how much work, full-time work, like outside the homework. There's like a, almost a perfect storm that I think can come together, not for everybody, but where moms are already vulnerable to some societal messages around what it means to work full time or to like put your kid in a daycare program. And then you all of a sudden have a kid who can say, I don't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. I don't like yeah. the lunch. I don't like my teacher. I miss you, mommy. I'm, I, I want to stay home. So like when your baby's eight months, of course, you're going to look for the best possible situation and you're going to weigh all these things, but there's not like another person who's reminding you 75 times before 7 a.m. and 8.30 a.m. like how disappointed they are in your life choices. It's like it's right. like your inner critic basically has um, a vessel through this like like these big fat crocodile tears of a sad preschooler. And I think it brings up a lot of feelings in both moms and kids. And it's just so hard. So what I hope that did is validate like it's not there's, there are, it's a, it's its own thing. This preschool drop off yeah. crying thing. It's just the kids are at the age where that separation is really hard. And I think moms are really extra vulnerable to, um, feeling guilty. Does that make sense? And I would also add to that, even if it's not the case where mom has been working and the baby's been in daycare, 
preschool is that time where it starts to feel kind of mandatory. Like it start uh-huh. and and I had a very different experience with my kids. Like some went to preschool, some didn't go at all, some just went for one year. But that's kind of it's kind of hard to buck the trend in that way. So even if you're like a stay-at-home mom, you might be like, okay, well, they're three now. They really need to be in preschool because that's what people do. Like that's mm-hmm. what I'm hearing. Yet I'm not really into it and my kid's not really into it. And that can create a totally different kind of guilt because again, the kid is telling you that they're not into it and you don't really even want them to go or need them to go. But like at the same time, there's this feeling that that's just what kids do at this age. So you're going along with the, with the crowd. Yeah. Or let me add like the flip side of that, which is you may have been a stay at home mom and feel really ready for some separation from your kid and really excited about preschool. Um, And so it can be just, so you're not doing it because society expects you to, you're doing it because you need the break. But if you have an established identity as a stay at home mom, who perhaps doesn't have the, the financial need for childcare because you are working, then those feelings of like, well, I don't need the childcare and my kid right. hates it and it costs money. So what are we doing? So it's like, yeah, it's all of these. Does it really matter what situation you're in? It sounds like it's just a, it's just loaded exactly. <laughs> like every such situation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I was going to say like for me at this age, now that we've like established that it's really, really hard, that compartmentalization was still really important for me. So I would go through the tearful drop-offs and I had three kids who all, all cried at drop-off and it was incredibly emotionally draining. And I sort of went into robot mode a little bit, I think of like walking them in, saying goodbye, walking away and just knowing that this was so normal. I think I had it. I was lucky to have this normalized for me by friends and family pretty early on. And just to be able to say like, this is not the school's fault. It's not the teacher's fault. It's not a sign that my kid is emotionally unstable it is just what we're going through right now. And I, for me, I powered through, did it anyway. And then I went into that compartmental mode and, you know, picked them up and then we did it all over again the next morning. But when I tell you that probably for like seven years straight, someone was crying at school drop-off, I'm not exaggerating. Like they all did for a very long time. Yeah. I was such a wimp about this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so like I had said, Jacob and Isaac both had their own issues with preschool, which, which I felt terrible about. And it was just like, it was, it was a, it was a stressful time. And then when Will came along, he, um, you know, he was so easygoing. He loved preschool. As I recall, I don't remember ever having a hard time. I don't ever remember feeling bad about like, there was like, I know a lot of places have this reserve. There's like the option you can pick them up at, you know, three or whatever, or if you want, you can just like add on extra time at the end of the day. And Will loved it when I did that. I'd surprise him with being away from me longer. And he was stoked. Like that was new to me. I had not had that with either of the older two. And so that was like a nice little break. And there, I don't remember him ever crying really. And then Owen came along and Owen was not into it. And I think I tried to put him in like several different programs when he was little and just gave up. Like I couldn't, I knew logically the best thing to do was to, make it abrupt and quick and walk away. But I was like, I don't need to, I have options. I can do something different if I want to. And by this point I had older kids at home that could help out. I had family and friends. Like I had a real support network, um, that kind of made it possible for me to get. And and also John was working from home a lot. So like I had other options, like I could leave my house to work or get away 
rather than having to take the kid out of the house. And that felt easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so Owen went to one year of preschool and Clara didn't go at all because she didn't really want to. And she was my last. And I just didn't feel like it. I just knew what it was going to look like. And I was a wimp. I wimped out. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I'm allowed, that, right? You're allowed. And isn't that an illustration of like, I don't know, all the kids are going to be fine. Um, we managed differently our own needs and our own triggers at that time. And yeah. I think we can both stand here and be like, yeah, that made sense. So yeah. Right. Exactly. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya Health, makes a kid's daily multivitamin that parents can feel great about giving their kids because they have no added sugars or dyes. And our kids who have tried Haya vitamins have loved them, which is important, right? Because what good is a bottle of vitamins that your kid won't take? Haya was founded by two dads who didn't like the ingredients label on some of the popular children's vitamins they were seeing on store shelves. So they got to work developing a formula that would help fill the most common nutrient gaps in modern kids' diets. Haya's chewable kids vitamin is made with a blend of 12 organic fruits and vegetables and then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals. They're also vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, and nut-free. Haya manufactures their vitamins right here in the USA with globally sourced ingredients, and then they ship their chewable vitamins directly to your door on a pediatrician-recommended schedule. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H.com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place dot com code mom hour. OK, so before we even get into the big kids, you just mentioned before the break that Clara didn't go to preschool. I'm curious. or I'm not that curious because I kind of remember she still probably had to go through some separation stuff from you a little later. Correct. Like kinder yeah. and first grade. I don't I wonder if you have anything to share about that for those Especially like in COVID, people whose kids yeah. didn't like my niece is not really getting much of a preschool experience. Will probably go into kindergarten without too much time ever away from you know family and siblings. So did that play out differently, or do you have any thoughts on that? 
So I guess one thing it's, it's good to point out is that even without preschool, kids are still, well, kids can still experiment with separation Mm -hmm. and different, different, um, reasons for which they might be separated from mom. So like I was traveling for work a lot from the time she was a toddler. Um, so she was not unused to watching me walk out the door. She was also often with her siblings, like Jacob could babysit by the time she was like, you know, two or three. So she was very often separated. Um, but like the school situation was new. And I remember her being, oh man, it's really kind of even hard for me to remember what I think I remember. And <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong about my own kid. But what I think I remember is her being anxious and teary in kindergarten, but loving her teacher so much, she got over it really fast. Okay. And then in first grade, lots of tears, lots of anxiety, because even though she had lots of experience by this point, separating from me, she did not like her teacher. Mm-hmm. She did not like the school experience in first grade. And so first grade for us was way, way harder than kindergarten, which I remember being overall pretty positive. Yeah. Um, so I guess it just goes to show you that like, even, even if you get through a year and everything's great, something can shift Yeah, and a kid might develop new anxieties that they didn't have before, or the situation might change. I'm really glad you brought up the distinction between say going on a work trip and dropping off at school every day. Cause this episode isn't really about like school separation. It's just, that's, that's maybe the most relatable cause it's what many people in our listening audience experience. But like Violet, for example, has other than preschool tears in the morning, um, school, the routine and the predictability of school has always been easier on Violet than, say, my leaving town for work or Brian and I leaving town and the kids being with the grandparents. Those have been extremely hard on Violet, even Mm. an evening date night uh, up until seven. I'm thinking pre-COVID. She was just seven when COVID hit. So like six and seven years old and an evening babysitter um, was like kind of torture. And that was a kid who was pretty happily going to school. So it's, it's just worth mentioning that like, it's, it's not the kid's reaction and maybe our own experience of the separation. It's not all about school, I guess is my point. Yeah. Well, right. And some kids are better off being dropped off in a situation that they can go be absorbed by. Um, but hate watching mom walk out the door or dad or Mm -hmm. mom and dad. And some kids are okay watching mom and dad walk out the door if they get to be in their home space with a babysitter they love or their siblings, but would hate being dropped off at school. Like it's, it's so unique and it can change. I was going to say year by year, but I would say month by month, like, you know, kids are very, they, their, their attitudes about things and the way they look at the world changes quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So now let's sort of uh, occupy this more big kid space and we'll move into, you know, preteens and teens too. But I'm curious, like, Assuming that your children are safe and either with a loved one or at a safe school, are there things that you, um, I'll use the word worry, but I know you're not much of a worrier, Megan. So it's more like when your kids are separated from you, what are you thinking about? Like, is it like, oh, I hope they remember to wash their hands after they use the restroom, or I hope they're having fun. Or do you, do you compartmentalize and like not really think about them at all? I was just going to say, I don't think about anything. And (laughs) it's kind of funny so there's the compartmentalization, which I'm sometimes I think like skilled to a, like a perhaps problematic level at, but I also, I'm just laughing at myself because of what I realized while planning this episode is that I have an uncanny ability to never worry about anything that's never happened before. Like as though it's not even something that could happen. So I guess what I mean by that is like, I would 
if it's already happened once, like the time Owen got such a bad sunburn um, at field day, mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, okay, that's a thing that can happen. And then I showed up every field day with sunscreen for him and Clara and all the cousins and any other kid who would let me put it on their faces because that was like a known thing. Like yeah. I, I touched the oven, I burned myself. Now I learned, right? Yeah. If it's not something that has happened or I have some close personal connection to some, you know, it having happened to somebody else, it's like it doesn't exist. So case in point, um, the first time Will got, well, the first time any of my kids got in trouble at a friend's house for like searching on YouTube, they searched for sexy ladies and I got a call from the mom. And I remember, first of all, that's just really funny. I mean, it's like kind of sweet that these kids, like that's what they thought would be a funny thing to search for. But the other thing that, you know, and I hope it was just like underwear models. I'm sure it wasn't, but I guess it, until that happened, it just hadn't occurred to me that that could happen. Like I was like, oh, that's weird. Kids in the internet and they decided to, it's like, I can be very in denial about things like that. Um, And it's kind of funny. My sister will always tell the story about how she got it into her head that one of her kids might crawl into an abandoned refrigerator when I'm they laughing were only little, I think you've told me this before, but keep going. Like I'm, I'm pretty I mean, laughing because it is. Yeah. It's just- so one day she just got that in her head and then like, couldn't let it go. And all she could think about was the, you know, proliferation of abandoned refrigerators that must be like strewn through her neighborhood that her kids were going to find climb into be locked in and suffocate. And I was like, I mean, it's that kind of, um, like magical but like the opposite of magical thinking, like mm-hmm. what's the word, you know, like well, the like, worst thing yeah, that can happen. It's, like band- it's catastrophic. Like, yes. Thinking. Catastrophizing. Yeah. Yes. That doesn't typically happen to me, which is not to say there's probably, I'm sure there's some example that I'm forgetting that it has happened to me, but it's like something has to plant it in my mind and it has to be planted pretty strongly for me to worry about it. Mm-hmm. So I don't do a lot of thinking about them and I don't do a lot of worrying about them. I love that. Oh, well, that is great. As as someone <laughs> who the stuff happens and I'm just like, what? Um, as someone who can occasionally catastrophize, um, although not yeah. in this case, this might surprise okay. you. Um, I don't, I don't catastrophize much about safety and you might think I would. So like I do have friends and I know this is really normal to worry about kids, um, like a school bus crash, for example, or um, a random act of violence in a school, something like the really scary stuff mm-hmm. that, that you see headlines on in the news. Um, and I know that's very normal, especially for moms who run anxious to worry about. Um, that tends not to plague me. Um, although if I entertain thoughts like that, I can certainly, you know, run, run wild. I've, I have experienced what that feels like. I think at this age, like these elementary ages, especially, um, I used to hyper-focus a little bit on my kids being exposed to something scary and me not being there to explain it. That was like a, and that could be at a friend's house, but by seeing a movie, they weren't prepared to see, we were pretty locked Mm -hmm. down about tech and video games and all that. Or it also could be at school. Um, I remember worrying about, um, nine 11, um, conversations in the classroom and like the assemblies that would happen in like kinder and first grade and thinking, well, okay, we're, we're teaching this to a whole range of elementary ages, but is my kid prepared? Is that going to scare? So there was, that was an area where I thought a lot about the messages my kids were getting 
outside of my home bubble. And I think in in today's in this day and age in today's climate, I think that parental fear is dominating a lot of conversations. I'll just leave it there. I think it's it's yeah. it's natural to experience the tension of you not being the only person to create context for your kids about what what really is happening in the world. Um we see that play out with a lot of fear fear-based decisions, I think, in different parts of the country in parenting. It's like it's it spills out in all kinds of ways. When I experienced it, it was um, in a much like sort of more micro sense. Like I just would worry that my kids would see or hear something that I wasn't there to help them understand, which is interesting. That is totally less of an issue now. My kids are older so that we just kind of moved through that and and went through it. I would say now it's a lot of sort of like it's not worry, but I think a lot about like Oh man, are they independent enough to like go on these multi-night overnight school trips? Like, are they going to take a shower? Are they going to put on sunscreen? Like, do they have like the executive functioning skills to like, it's really more about me wanting to be judged as a good parent, right? By like other adults, like having my kid be like a basket case or, um, I don't know, be gross. (laughs) So like, yeah, there's, there's a bit of that. I think um, the last thing I'll say is the time, the, the ages my kids were when COVID hit, they were nine, eight, seven, nine, and 11 when we entered COVID. They really did miss out on um, some of that developmental like independence, like things like sleepovers, um, field trips, short school trips. Like, I don't know if your schools do like one or two night um, little mini like science camp type things. And so I do feel like the last year or so we've been playing catch up of like, oh, what what do I need to worry about when my kids are separated from me? So that was a lot. None of that was really about, I guess, how I feel when they're gone, except to like wonder if they're, you know, prepared. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting as you're talking because I'm just thinking about, and and who knows where, like where these tendencies are, are planted in our psyche. Is it personality type? Like, why might one person borrow trouble and another person um, just still be playing catch up? And I'm talking about me yeah, like and me yeah, playing. Ke- well, I'm playing catch up with the, the trouble that already happened probably mm-hmm. sometimes because I didn't get in front of it. So it's like I already have enough real things that are happening. I don't have time to worry about something that could happen because I'm dealing with the thing that did happen, maybe because I didn't prepare or maybe because it just happened. So yeah. there's like this, you know, it's it, you could go on and on and like go in circles about that. I think I found myself doing a lot of um, preparing my home and myself for the time I would be with them rather than worrying about the time I wasn't with them. So in those days, well, and I don't know, maybe it's all just like coping. Right. So in those days, I think I would do a lot of like nurturing kind of stuff at the house while they weren't in it. And I wasn't thinking like, oh, I wonder what they're doing right now. It was more like when they get home, this is going to be the place where like good things happen because I don't know what's happening out there. And I can't, it's too nebulous. I can't really wrap my brain around what's happening out there. So I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to like get in front of it by making this environment to, to, you know, the degree that I can control it. Yeah. Um, a safe and good place. And like, probably I could have saved all of us a little trouble if I'd thought a little more ahead sometimes, but then I think it also kept me kind of calm to not. So I really yeah. like that. I like that a lot. Um, well, I want to talk about like length of time of separation as we move into the teenagers and even launching kids. And I'm curious 
if we both have a, a length of time that at, has felt too long to be away. Like, okay, a day at daycare, I'm used to that. That feels like eight hours. Okay, I'm used to that. Okay, a sleepover, I'm used to that. And then for me, it's just sort of gradually gotten longer and longer. But I'll, I'll share a couple thoughts that I had about this. Um, just this past weekend, Violet got to sleep over at a friend's and I had thought we'd pick her up at 10 or 11 the next morning. Um, but she got invited to stay with them, go to lunch and go to the beach. And there was this point after it had been just about 24 hours. And also we were having a ridiculous heat wave. It was really, really hot. Lots of places here don't have air conditioning. And I knew they were outside and at the beach and right around the 24 hour mark, I just had this like visceral gut feeling, almost like we were describing like from the baby days where I was like, okay, I need my kid to be home. I don't know where she is. The fa- I really love the family she was with, but they're not glued to their phones all the time. So they will go for several hours without, you know, checking in. And so I didn't have that like, oh, we're now we're walking to the beach. Now we're at the beach. I didn't have that feedback we discussed. And I thought it was interesting because I've, I've been a, long, a mom a long time now. I've had my kids away from me for much longer than 24 hours. But I I felt that point at which I was like, oh, this has now been too long for a variety of reasons. Um, with my oldest who goes on sleepaway camp and school trips, honestly, it's like a whole week. Right around a week, I'm like, oh, wow, like it's been a while. Like I, we miss Luke around here. Like it f- doesn't feel the same, but a week is is a long time to get to that place. So there's mm-hmm. like a big range there. Um, I saw Jen Hatmaker just had an Instagram post where her youngest, so the baby of her five is spending her junior year of high school, not college, but high school abroad. And I had this moment where I was like, Ooh, I don't think I could do that. And then it wasn't like judging. I was just like, Oh, that's too long for that age of kid. And so I found myself kind of checking like, well, why, why is that too long? I mean, for through history, there have been kids who go to live with an aunt and uncle for a reason. Um, we had a listener talk about being separated for five weeks from her seven-year-old because of childcare and work and COVID and quarantine a couple years ago. And again, my, my knee jerk reaction is like, Ooh, five weeks from a first grader, like that's too long. But I guess why I wanted to bring this up is like, it's all relative to what you're used to. And we know there are deployed families in other situations where the definition of like too long would be vastly different. Yeah. Well, I, when you were talking about Violet, I was thinking it feels to me like sometimes when there's too many, like the planets are, are like getting to all of them or like getting a little too far away or like there's some disturbance in the forest. I don't know how to exactly put this, but it's like everything is spinning around. Like, you know, the kids are all the satellites spinning around me or whatever, whatever analogy you want to make mine. I've already blown this one, (laughs) but um, if there's too many like different things happening at once, that's where my tolerance gets weird. Mm -hmm. So if I knew Clara was going to be gone for a week at camp and I safely got her off to camp and then picked her up a week later and everything else stayed pretty normal. Cool. If during that same time, Owen took off for three days and then when Will was still home, he was in and out and his work schedule got weird. Like that's when it starts to become now there's too many plates spinning at different rates and further away than they were. And it's like, it's like too much for my brain to handle. And I need things to get back to normal, which is different from missing them or feeling like the attachment is strained because they've been gone too long. Yeah, you know what I mean? A, yeah, like, that's a good point. Yeah. So I feel like in, in my life when, when there's relatively short periods of time that the kids are gone, but it's like 
it's all staggered one on top of another, or there's one and then there's hardly any time home. And then there's like another one right away or two of them are gone. It starts to just throw like the ecosystem of our family off a little too much. And that's when I get uncomfortable, even though it's not about either kid actually being gone too long. Um, and you know, sometimes you're just really distracted. I was just thinking like, man, until, cause John has been taking the kids for longer and longer periods of time, or we've been, I would say switching off for longer periods of time. And I was thinking, man, have I ever been away from my kids as long as I was this summer when they were gone for 10 days? And then I was like, well, yeah, Clara was in the NICU for 11 days. Yeah. And so I didn't see any of the older kids. So I had one baby, but I was missing four kids who were still little at the time, but I didn't think of it the same because we had, I had to be there and I was busy taking care of the baby, which was the one that needed me the most. And so the other ones just went on hold. Like they were in suspended animation. So, um, I guess for me now, like we're experimenting with two weeks on two weeks off, like right now for the school year, we're doing one week on one week off, but over the summer, we several times did like 10 days to two weeks and it felt like a little much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if that, yeah, it felt like a little much. I think that it starts to feel like a little much in both directions because when they're not with me, I start wondering about really dumb things. Like, do they have enough socks with them? Do they leave all their socks at my house? And now they only have one pair of socks at their dad's house, which is not, I mean, the socks are a stand in for something else. Right. But it just gets weird not to talk to them very much. Clara is really bad about responding to texts. Owen's great about it. So I just use him as like the one that I check in with everybody through Owen. But then his answer is like one syllable usually. Like he doesn't even write. Yes, it's yeah. It's Y E, which I think (laughs) is a thing kids do. But so anyway, um, will I feel like two weeks is too long if we do it three or four times and I get used to that feeling? Probably not. Right. You know? Like yeah. I'll get used to it. And then maybe at some point it'll make, when I was uh, seven years old, I was spending six weeks at a time with my dad in the summer. And I know my mom hated it, but she got used to it and yeah. I got used to it. And I guess, I don't know, you can get used to, if, if things just, if they become normal, then they become tolerable. Yes, absolutely. I would agree. And I, um, the sleepover heat wave beach situation was sort of an outlier this weekend, but I can go quite a long time enjoying not having my kids around me. I just want to say that out loud in case anybody feels guilty for having that sentiment. If, especially if I feel that they're safe and cared, cared for and loved, um, I can go a very long time. Like those of you with kids still at home think like a five or six hour school day with all your kids out of the house sounds like a long time. And I can assure you, I get to like hour four and a half. I'm like, gosh, darn it. I could use another six hours. Like the school right. day should be 10 hours long. So yeah, I very much I think enjoy that's very normal. A break. Well, you're, I mean, we both, I know that maybe we would both put ourselves in a different place on the introvert extrovert um, spectrum, but we both can have introverted tendencies. And I definitely can have the tendency where once I'm really into something that I'm doing, I really don't like to be interrupted or distracted from it. Uh-huh. And so life without kids for extended periods of time gives you more and more opportunity to get really into something and not want to be taken out of that, yeah. that mode that you're in. Yeah. I forgot to mention, but I do want to mention this because I think it's an important one for, um, especially moms from divorced families is the two weeks on two weeks off thing 
can feel too much on both sides. I kind of alluded to that, but I didn't yeah. talk about the other side. Then they're home for two weeks. And that feels like too much. Not that I don't want to be around them for two weeks, but then you feel this like, like you have to make those two weeks make up for the two weeks that you weren't with them. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you, the whole routine is constantly changing. And, and the weeks that I have them home, I feel like I get very, very little done because I'm trying to make every moment of them being home work. And that doesn't work because teenage kids do not want to hang out with their mom 12 hours a day. Like that's just not right. (laughs) None of them want to do that. So I still have to remember to like still arrange to get out of the house, still arrange to go hang out with Eric for a little while or go see a friend for an hour because they don't want me in the house the whole time. Like that's not the deal that got created just because the parents are divorced. Doesn't mean that every moment they're in my house means I have to like squeeze as much quality time out of that every moment as I can. That's just not with teenage kids that just is, does not lead to, it's not an expectation that I can maintain or that actually makes anyone happy in the end. So I think that's a really good point. And I think that can actually be translated to moms of babies and little kids too, who feel like they need to cram every doctor's appointment and every pedicure and every lunch with a friend into the daycare hours because it's already like, Oh, well, those are my non-kid hours. But, um, yeah, I think we can all be kind of hard on ourselves about that type of thing that like you are still allowed to have time away from your kids, even outside of the, the scheduled time away from your kids. So, right. Um, well, I guess before we wrap, since you are the one with launched teenagers and young adults, I'm curious, like, going back to this idea of like knowing what they're doing at all times. I imagine there are not cameras in the dorm rooms. I almost don't want to say that out loud because of course we do not want, um, we do not want to surveil our college students, but how much contact do you enjoy when your launched kids, um, are far away for long amounts of time? Is it like, has there been tension with what you hope for and what you get and does it affect how much you miss them or maybe not? Um, hmm. this has been so all over the place for me. I have kids who are great communicators and I have kids who are very out of sight, out of mind. And then I also have kids who go through stages, um, where sometimes they're more in touch and sometimes they're not. I really like the random texting, like the casual, Oh, I was just thinking about you or sent, you know, a little funny quip or something without expectation or like, um, obligation attached Mm -hmm. to it. I do not need to get on the phone all the time, but I do like to know that they're okay. I I like to know if there's anything big or fun going on. I like to occasionally hear their voices, but I'm also okay with just not like Isaac, when he was not living with me, um, would go weeks without texting or calling and was not great about responding to texts. Um, he's pretty, uh, has a lot of limits around his phone and the way he uses it, which I think is great. And so he would just kind of check out for a really long time. But then now we talk all the time mm-hmm. every day. So it's like the relationship doesn't go away or even get particularly strained. I don't think if there's a lack of communication, some people are just like that. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, on the other hand, is extremely chatty. And even during times when Jacob and I have had more of a strained relationship, we talk all the time. And so, in fact, sometimes... I have to like make sure I have time to talk to Jacob because he's so chatty. <laughs> Buckle and he in. always has so much to talk about that sometimes if it's like a quickie, like I'm just driving across town to, you know, go to the grocery store, 
I don't call Jacob because then I feel guilty and I don't want to walk through the grocery store talking on the phone. So, <laughs> but I'd be like, okay, uh, uh-huh, okay, okay. Got it. Oh, right. It's one of those. So, um, I, it's so personality based and I, I am very adaptable mm-hmm. to the kid's personality. I love that. Um, oh. I don't have as much experience, but something I was thinking about, and I don't know if there's anything like this for you, but there are a few ways that technology sometimes lets you know, um, what your teen or big kid is up to. And these have been kind of a funny surprise. So like it could be as simple as the lunch, like we have a school lunch balance that will just send me an email when, um, something is purchased. And so I will like, Oh, like Luke had a bagel for lunch. Or there's like this little like window into whatever they're doing. That's not meant to be creepy surveillance mom, but every once in a while it will just be like, Oh, that's nice to know. And especially in, I think the teenage years where you might get less sometimes of like the Mm -hmm. daily report. Um, it's just kind of funny that technology, so both the debit cards that my kids have, which I will talk about next week, because we're going to be talking about, uh, money and finances, but their debit cards as well as the school lunch will sometimes accidentally surveil them (laughs) and give me a little bit of information. (laughs) I, I love that. And I, you know, my, Several of my kids are, I wouldn't say any of my kids are super active on, on Instagram or any social media, but they, they all have accounts and every now and then one of them will like pop up with a post. And sometimes I'm a little like put out like, Hey, I didn't know that was happening. Or I don't know, there's something weird about having your, seeing your kids out there in the world, like having their own public facing platform and voice. And then like knowing other people might've seen it before you did. There's just, it's weird. I'm not, it's not upsetting or anything but it's weird. And I will also say that I feel like the fewer kids I have at home to deal with, the harder long periods of time going without talking to any of those kids will be. It's easier when you still have a lot happening. And, um, but even the weeks that the younger two are off with their dad, I will find myself checking in with the older ones more because I'm like, Hey, I'm just kind of lonely over here. Anybody want to, anyone want to talk to old mom? And I have a couple text threads with all of them. And again, like, Owen is the one who always responds. All the rest are a little, a little bit sporadic with the response times, but it's kind of like, I'll just like, Hey, and I actually called the, it's a Google hangout or whatever they're calling it now. I called it mom wants to talk because I know no one's going to use it because they want to talk to me. It's all like, I just want to talk to you guys. So I'm just going to name the hangout that. And then this is where we'll, this is where I will beg you to talk to me. I love it. I really love it. (laughs) Um, well, this was fun. I do feel like we kind of went on a journey from like barely separated at the umbilical level to living across the country. Um, so this was really fun. We are back with you next Tuesday, a week from today. We have an episode about talking about money with kids, um, and all the fun stuff that brings up for us. And then just to note that uh, on the blog, our contributor, Stacy has a really cool walkthrough of how she handles the onslaught of kid papers that start coming home when everybody's back in school um, and how she decides what to keep and what to toss and where she stores everything. And we've had questions um, about that from our community. So I will link that up and uh, check the blog and follow us on social so you can uh, get all that good content that's not necessarily here on the podcast. There's more on the blog and on our socials. And Megan, this was fun. We'll talk to everybody soon. Talk to you soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. 
Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Hi everyone, Megan here. Sarah and I would absolutely love it if you would hit pause right now, like right where you're listening, and leave the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, this is one of the biggest ways you can thank us, and it really only takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening to Apple Podcasts, you can navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So when you're in the episode you're listening to right now, click where it says the Mom Hour just above the play button, and then scroll all the way to the bottom, and you will see the ratings and reviews. We would love if you would leave us one as well. Thank you so much for listening. 